When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The rose water collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. The Only Way is Through, a new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Players, coaches, and athletes will share intimate and personal stories of performing at the highest level. Here is Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellenwood. The reason I won is because on that day I was confident. I need to continue that mentality to understand that I can be an Olympic athlete. I can compete with the best in the world and just perform. Listen to The Only Way is Through, available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. We wanted to talk about a topic that has been in the news lately, and that is the topic of catcalling, specifically in France. Um, I should say, Kristen and Caroline did a great episode all around catcalling and whether or not it is, in fact, sexual harassment. Spoiler alert, it is. But we wanted to do a little bit of a take two because it's in the news again, and there's been some movement on legislation around the issue. Yeah, here's what happened. A CCTV video of a 22-year-old student, Marie Laguerre, being violently attacked after telling off a man who harassed her on the street kind of went viral. So basically, she was walking home uh, in North Paris around 7 p.m. when she encountered her attacker. She said that he made dirty noises, comments, and whistled toward her as they passed. Instead of just walking home and doing nothing, she decided to call him out. She responded, Tagula which basically means shut up. If you're a French speaker, I know we probably f***ed that up, so apologies. She said, I didn't even think he heard me, but he had heard me and suddenly things happened. He grabbed an ashtray and threw it at me. It missed my head by a few centimeters. She decided she was going to shout back. I felt hatred. I refused to be demeaned. I was humiliated. Uh, After she screamed at the man, he walked back and hit her hard and basically knocked her down. And he's still not been caught. Wow. She posted the video to YouTube, herself writing in French, this is unacceptable behavior. It happens every day. These men think they can do anything in the street, who think they are allowed to humiliate us, and who don't like it when we are offended. It's unacceptable. And it is. And she went on to say, I am sick of feeling unsafe walking in the street. Things need to change, and they need to change now. So something that I find so interesting about her situation is that when journalists asked If she would do what she did again, you know, knowing how he was going to react, she said, yeah, she would. She said, I was so annoyed. I didn't want to hide to look down, but he dared to be angry when it was me who had a reason to be angry, she said. I turned to him and everything went extremely fast, but then I knew he was going to hit me. I was even ready to fight. When the blow came, I took it without showing any emotion and he continued to scream. So she basically knew that by engaging him, you know, most of us just keep going. You don't look down. You pretend you didn't hear it. She sort of knew that she might be attacked, you know, for standing up for herself. I think that her situation really does show that people who think like, oh, if someone catcalls you or harasses you or asks you out, just respond firmly. You know, in our episode around travel, the State Department says if someone makes you feel uncomfortable, just respond firmly. And we need to acknowledge that sometimes responding firmly is not a safe situation. Yeah, I remember the first time I was in France, somebody walked past me. A man walked past me. I was like 18 or something. I don't know. I was pretty young. Uh, he walked past me and he said, Vous êtes très sexy. You were very sexy. I kind of turned and he like grabbed my face and licked my cheek. And I shoved him away. And he like tried to grab my arm and I started to run. And I just got on, like I ran down the stairs into the metro and just got on the first train. And I was so scared and like shaken by it. But he, he was following me. It's not always an option. I felt like I was pretty, I gave him a pretty firm push, but it doesn't always work. That's actually really terrifying and disturbing. Uh, Another case of street harassment made news on Twitter. This writer, Pia Glenn, um, took to Twitter to say that she was walking down the street and this woman 
turned around and screamed at this guy, you know, you've been following me for blocks, leave me alone. And that everybody on the street without talking sort of fell into formation of making sure the situation was safe. And I think when you see someone being catcalled, when you see someone being harassed, I think it is kind of imperative to be the one to say, hey, stop it. And that can be kind of a scary thing. But I think that that will be the thing that's that pushes sort of a cultural change that people don't want you to harass them on the street and like follow them and make them run into a train. I have been catcalled a few times. The time that sticks out in my mind the most was pretty recently. I was in New York City and I had just gotten off of the off of the train and I was catcalled by a police officer and I was wearing a skirt and he said, oh, beautiful legs. And I was unnerved and shaken by this. You know, I, I, when, when you were catcalled, you were 18. I was, this was earlier this year. And I think I felt so scared because if I knew that if I had said, you know, F- off or how dare you, the idea of me antagonizing a NYPD police officer in the street, like I was like, this is a scary situation. And so I didn't know what to do or what to say. I, I couldn't shout. I couldn't be like, leave me alone. But I felt I was like frozen in place. And I ended up running into a random bodega because I was just so freaked out by the encounter. Street harassment, it can really shake you and really make you question who you are in a kind of way. Like it really does. It, it can. It sounds like nothing. And I spent a long time thinking that it you know, it's nothing. It's just men being men, you know, no big deal. It's not like he, you know, assaulted you or something, but it actually does make an impact, I think, in your day. Oh, for sure. I remember almost to the date, like when I realized that when I would go outside, it was almost like I was putting a jacket on, like this performance that I was having to having to do. And at the time I had to walk to work where I was going to get catcalled, like every day it was going to happen. So To this day, I can tell you what side of the street you should walk on to best avoid being catcalled. It's one of my, like, weirdest, saddest (laughs) um, skills that I have. If you're ever walking down Ponce Leon in Atlanta, I've got a little map for you, (laughs) your best bets to avoiding catcalling. But it was, like, sometimes I wouldn't even go places. Like, I knew if I crossed the street at one point, maybe if I wanted to go over to get coffee— I would be catcalled, and some days I just wouldn't even deal with it because I, I didn't want to have to. So it does, like, it influences your decisions, and I think it does kind of have this undercurrent of, well, I'm going to go outside, and people are going to be objectifying me in this way, and there's really nothing I can do about it. Yeah, that, and that's not a good way to feel. It's not a good way to live your day-to-day life. But, I mean, that what you said about putting on a jacket, like, don't we all put on this armor just to be out in the world? And that can feel kind of, that doesn't feel good. I have a similar situation where I live in Columbia Heights. I have to say, street harassment is out of control. I used to live really close to a grocery store. If you live in Columbia Heights in Washington, D.C., I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is a major intersection where in front of this big grocery store, people stand outside, a thing that was established before Uber and Lyft. And it's still sort of a practice that is done for folks who don't use Uber and Lyft. Like if you're an underserved community where you don't don't have a cell phone or something, where it's like men will stand in front of the grocery store and offer people rides home with their groceries for cash. And so there was always a line of men in front of this grocery store that was on a busy street. And so you knew if you walked by, there was one guy in particular who was awful. Like every time I walked by this, this corner, I knew I was going to get it every single time. And there was one time that my, my father was visiting and my father was walking behind me and I was walking in front of him because he was on a phone call. And so we sort of were walking at very different paces so he could be on his call. And this guy predictably harassed me. And my dad ran over there, grabbed the guy by his collar, and I've never seen anyone. And my dad's a big guy. Like he was screaming. He said, I mean, he, he said some things that if I critiquing it now, I'm thinking like, well, that wasn't the most woke thing to say, dad. You know, he was like, that's my daughter. Do you understand that? Are you standing in front of the street yelling at women as they walk by? What if that was your daughter? Like my dad, he went off. I mean, if I could go back and, you know, Monday morning quarterback, my dad's rant, I would be like, well, I deserve respect, not just because I'm your daughter, but because I'm a person, but whatever, I still appreciate it. And to this day, that guy will not even make eye contact with me. When oh, I walk wow. By, he stands down. He's like, avert your eyes. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Avert your eyes. Don't make me call my dad. I will put him on speakerphone. <laughs> that's kind of amazing. Yeah. My, my dad was not, was not, he, he was just like, is this what you're doing? You're standing outside yelling at women as they walk by. He was, he was so offended on behalf of his gender. That I was very proud. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of touching. My dad was with me once when some guy was yelling at me to, like, smile more, and then I didn't, and so he called me a bitch. And my dad, like, stopped, and it didn't even—I didn't even make any reaction. And he kind of jogged to catch up with me, and he said, that guy just called you a bitch. And I was like, yeah, that's the third time this week. <laughs> and he was, Atlanta's, Atlanta's a tough place, <laughs> armor, right? Like that's the armor that you have put on every day to exist as Annie in Atlanta in public is being called a three times in two days is the norm for you. And that is what you've internalized is your experience out in public will be and that it doesn't even get past the first layer of your armor. It's like bounces right off of you at this point. And that's kind of sad. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so many friends of mine, we've had discussions of you know, you wear sunglasses and you put in your, your headphones, even though you're not listening to music, so you can do your best to pretend that you didn't hear this thing. We all have tactics for dealing with this. Yeah, I remember when Apple came out with those new earbuds that just, they don't have cords, they just sit in your ears. The reason why I didn't like those is because if you have long hair or really any amount of hair, it will obscure the fact that you're wearing headphones. When I wear headphones, headphones are part of my armor. If I go out for longer than an hour and I forget headphones, I will buy headphones because I have to have headphones, right? That is just part of how I exist in public, whether or not I'm playing music. And the idea that you would be wearing headphones that people couldn't see, I need the opposite. I need to broadcast to the world, particularly to men, I am wearing headphones. Do not engage with me. If you engage with me, expect me to ignore you. Like that is the way that I, I guess that's part of my armor is my big ass headphones, which I, I always have. Yeah, me too. I bet that never came up in any meetings at Apple. I'm sure it didn't. The same way that I'm sure that nobody at Apple thought that the iPad might remind some people of menstruation. Maybe they should get some more women on their development teams. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Back to France. Cracking down on catcalling in France has been a long time coming. But after the attack, the French equalities minister, Marine Schiappa, persuaded the Assemblée Nationale to pass legislation that was introduced in May that called for on-the-spot fines for sexual harassment on the street and on public transport. The fines would range from 90 euro to 750 euro. They could be far higher for repeat offenders or in the case of aggravating circumstances. Quote, the idea is that it is high enough to be a deterrent, but also that we could be sure the harasser can pay it immediately so that the law can be efficient. The legislation was popular with 90% of the French public supporting it, according to an IFPOP poll. Schiappa said she was outraged but not surprised about the attack on the Guerre. What do you think of this new law? Do you think that would be a deterrent? It's hard to say. I feel like it would be difficult to report. I don't know. So if someone, if I'm walking on the street and someone across the street cat calls me, would I have to call the police? And say that that dude right there, he catcalled me. And would they just accept my word for it? It seems difficult to enforce to me, I guess. Yeah. I, part of me thinks that it's a, it's a good sort of symbolic gesture that will help push cultural attitude changes that, oh, people don't like this. I'm not supposed to do this. But yeah, unless you are catcalling a plainclothes police officer, because, yeah, are you going to say, stop right there, sir, while I make a, a 911 call? Or you have to hope that a police officer is on the street to see that. I think it's a good thing in terms of helping to push the attitude where everybody knows this thing is not welcome because if you do it, you can get a fine. Kind of like how um, if you're on the train, they have those signs that say, at least in D.C., they have those signs that say, If you go from one train car to the next, you could, you could risk a fine, but people still do it. If there was a cop there, you know, they might say something, but that it's just is sort of the um, reminder that you're not supposed to. It's the thing that makes you think twice, maybe. Maybe that maybe it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I wonder how um, publicized it is as, as well, if it's most people know that that's a thing or if random catcaller has no idea it, he's going to be fined for it. Because, yeah, if you ride the train every day, I, I see, I know, no food, no drink, what have you. But I don't know if it's posted somewhere on the street, like, no catcalling, no street harassing, fine. If people in France, please write in and let us know. I would, I would love more information. Yeah, well, the new law also changes the age of consent in France. Lawmakers first proposed making it illegal for someone over 18 to have sex with someone under 15. 
in response to a recent high-profile case where a man in his 20s was not convicted of raping an 11-year-old girl because there was no evidence of coercion. He was instead convicted of a lesser crime of sexual abuse. Now, this is one of those rulings that was widely mocked because a 20-year-old can't have sex with an 11-year-old. That's rape. Of course it's coercive, I guess, unless you're in France. (laughs) Yeah, that's awful. But France's highest administrative court warned that setting a firm legal age of consent, quote, could be seen as violating an adult's presumption of innocence and would be therefore declared unconstitutional. Instead, lawmakers opted to classify sex with a minor under 15 as rape if the child, quote, lacked the necessary discernment to consent. About 70 percent of France was supportive of this part of the measure. The law also gave rape victims an additional decade to press charges if they are assaulted before they turn 18. Right now, victims have 20 years after their 18th birthday to file a complaint. Under the new measure, that would be bumped up to 30 years. Catcalling and street harassment is a thing in France. A 2016 study by a National Association of Transport Users in France found that 83% of women using public transport said they had been subjected to catcalling or intimidating comments about their appearance. Yeah, I went to Paris for the first time, and I've lived in a bunch of big cities. I've lived in D.C., Brooklyn, different parts of New York. I have a lot of experience living in big cities. And I got to say, I mean, this is completely anecdotal. I was surprised by the level of street harassment and catcalling in in Paris. People had warned me that it was going to be a thing, but I was like, wow, they really, they are really out here catcalling. That was a, a bit of a culture shock for me. Yeah, I had a similar experience in France as well. Yeah, and it was hard to, because you're in a new country, right? It's different to you. So at first you're sort of thrown by it. Like, is this just how things are here? Or is it because I'm not from here? Am I noticing it more? But yeah, I've been I've been to Paris a couple times and I've noticed that it's pretty bad there. Yeah, but I want to be clear. This is not just a French problem. YouGov conducted the largest study about harassment on public transportation to date in 2014. They pulled people in 16 major cities worldwide and ranked their transit systems from safest, which would be New York City, to the least safe, which would be Bogota. As far as experiences of verbal harassment go, the top worst cities were Mexico City, Delhi, Bogota, Lima, and Jakarta. While the top five worst cities for physical harassment were Mexico City, Bogota, Lima, Tokyo, and Delhi. In 2016, ActionAid conducted a survey on street harassment in a number of countries, and they found that 79% of women living in cities in India, 86% in Thailand, and 89% in Brazil have been subjected to harassment or violence in public, as had 75% of women in London. So again, we're talking about France, probably because I just came back from France and I have vacation brain and I just want to think about France all the time. But this is in no way an isolated thing to France. It is a a global problem. Like like people not being able to be safe out on the streets living their lives is a global problem. It's also really bad for trans women. The U.S. Transgender Survey released by the National Center for Transgender Equality found really alarming findings related to discrimination and harassment of trans folks in public spaces. 46%, that's almost half of all trans people experienced verbal harassment in the past year. 9% of trans people experienced a physical attack in the last year. Studies conducted about street harassment have concluded that those who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender are more likely to experience street harassment than their heterosexual or cisgender counterparts. A 2015 survey conducted by the National Center for Transgender Equality reported that half of respondents, which included both trans women and men, reported being verbally harassed in the past year because of being transgender. Yeah, there was a couple of really, really heartbreaking situations here in D.C. where I live where trans women report that street harassment, the kind of thing that me as a cis woman, I get every day, it doesn't turn violent. When you're trans, those situations can turn violent really, really quickly. And that just because of your gender presentation or gender identity, it's like it's like an added layer of risk that makes these situations that much more dangerous and oftentimes deadly for trans women. Yeah, Kristen and Caroline's episode that we mentioned at the top does a great job of explaining why catcalling is 100% harassment, but new data released last year really paints a portrait of just how damaging to women this practice is. So in 2017, the British Journal of Social Psychology, researched by the University of Melbourne in Australia, 
completed a first-of-its-kind study to capture just how common sexual harassment is in the lives of women and to show the possible impact it can have on how we think about ourselves. 81 women around the age of 20 did a survey listing how they felt about their own self-image. Then over the course of a week, these women responded to questions via an app they had downloaded to their phone. In total, three questions were sent 10 times a day at random intervals between 10 a.m. and midnight. The questions included whether they'd been thinking about how they looked to other people, if they had been a target by any sexually objectifying events, and if they had witnessed anyone else being targeted by these behaviors. And the results found that women reported being the target of a sexually objectifying event once every two days. 55% of these were a gaze or a look. 11% were catcalls or wolf whistles. 10% were sexual remarks. And 4% were touching or fondling. The women also reported witnessing sexual objectification of other women on average of 1.35 times a day. Unsurprisingly, two-thirds of these instances had been portrayed in the media, so when you're watching TV and someone is objectified. But there were many occasions of other women experiencing this in real life. And it actually turns out that it doesn't really matter if this is the kind of thing that's happening to you or you're witnessing it happening to another woman. The study found that it still has an impact. Both being personally targeted or witnessing others being objectified was associated with a, quote, substantial increase in, quote, self-objectification, proving that these instances of sexual harassment can have a negative impact on the way that women think about themselves. Yeah, I would have to agree. I found I found an old journal entry I wrote, from like I was 13 or something, and I wrote something along the lines of, I feel like my body is powerful, but it is a power that I don't control. And I think what I was trying to communicate is like, I knew that at the time I was sort of becoming a woman. I was uh, maturing and I felt like afraid of my own body and of the attention it was getting. And I knew it was like this powerful thing, but I couldn't really, I didn't have any control over it. And I felt like people were taking that from me and it just made me kind of sad. But it, it does really impact you and sometimes in ways that you don't realize. Yeah. And I think that what you just described is, I think it's, I I hate to say this. I almost think that is a rite of passage of womanhood. That moment that you have that makes you ashamed of your body and the way it looks and the way it presents. That moment of when you are taught that your body is not okay and you internalize that. I almost feel like, like that is... You, you're having your hand stamp like into your adult womanhood in a kind of way. And I think that that experience is not just an experience that cis women like myself have. I think that trans women have that too, where it's that moment where you internalize, oh, my body is not okay, whatever that moment is for you. And I think for a lot of us, it's the way that people react to you in public, whether it's harassing, whether it's like looking at you. I'm was and still super flat chested and probably always will be. But I was very tall and I was very hippie always. And, you know, being like 11, 12 and watching, looking at grown men look at me and and seeing sort of the discomfort on my parents' face around that and really having a lot of confusing internal feelings that I didn't understand. And because we live in a culture that doesn't talk to young people about their bodies and about sex, internalizing it. Instead of being like, why is that man looking at me? And dad, why are you frowning about it? And I'm 11 and what's going on? I just kind of ate those feelings and they stick with you. I think, I think you're right. Yeah. We're going to talk a a bit more about this law in France and whether or not that is the right move to make. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's Rosewater Collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. 
And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So you may recall back in January, in the wake of Me Too, more than 100 prominent French women, journalists, actresses, doctors, and artists, signed an open letter that questioned whether the push for harsher punishment would undermine romance and seduction long cherished by the French. Rape is a crime, the women wrote, insistently or awkwardly hitting on someone is not. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Part of me thinks, oh, we should listen to all women's voices. But really, sis, like you had to come out in an open letter and say this? Yeah, I remember when that happened and I was really upset about it. I guess I would disagree with labeling it insistently or awkwardly hitting on someone. I think that kind of undermines what it is. And also that's not like romantic well, that's the thing. In this letter, they, they sort of say part of French culture is seduction and romance. It's not romantic if one party is f-ing hating it and wants it to stop. That's not romantic. They're saying that they, they are worried that this sort of tutting around Me Too and harassment is going to ruin French culture that has an aspect to it that is very romantic and about seduction and blah, 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 Pepe Le Pew. They're saying that like that aspect of French cultural identity is threatened by Me Too and calling out harassers. But again, if it's not consensual, if it's not a two-way street, if both parties aren't digging it, then it isn't romantic. When I was in France, I was actually a bit culturally surprised by how aggressive men would hit on you. I mean, I, I I mentioned being surprised by street harassment, but I was also very surprised about just general being hit on. Like, I'm hit on every now and then in the United States, but in France, it was a whole different level the wildest thing that happened is I was in Nice and I was in the ocean in a kayak and I made eye contact with someone who was standing on the shore and this person was not in swim clothes. They were wearing jeans and a shirt and he took off his shirt, dove into the water and swam out to me to ask me out. But he only spoke French and I don't speak French. So I was like, well, sorry, you uh, wasted your time by swimming out here. But so I will say that it does seem that men wanting to flirt with and pick up women on the street, women they don't know, seems to be a cultural thing in France. And so I can understand the inclination to want to be protective of something that you say is, that you feel is a a part of your cultural identity. But again, if it's harassing, if one person is hating it, it is not something worth protecting. It's not romantic. Yeah, that's not romantic at all. And when I think of romance in France, I imagine like a happy couple together with wine, like, looking at the Eiffel Tower, which is very stereotypical, but it doesn't involve harassment or asking someone out on the street. Like, I'm picturing something else, and I'm not French, admittedly, but I'm saying that that can be very romantic. Yeah, whatever happened to riding around on a bicycle with two seats with, like, a baguette in your (laughs) bike basket and wearing a striped shirt? And then the baguette falls, and it gets caught in the bike tire, and then you crash, and you fall on top of each other, and then you start making out. Or then maybe there's spaghetti, if you're eating spaghetti, and then there's one noodle, and then you have one side of the noodle, and then someone else has the other side of the noodle, and then you're eating it, and then you kiss. Somebody needs to make a movie about that. (laughs) I bet it'd be a pretty iconic scene. (laughs) Maybe you could, like, nose a meatball over to the other person. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think someone definitely needs to get on that. Yeah, why, why haven't we seen that? Hollywood, get on it. Yeah, we're just ahead of the game on that one. France is a romantic city. I remember thinking, walking the streets and thinking if I was with a romantic partner, it would be nice, you know, this would be a nice place to experience that. But I think the mistake these women are making is mistaking a romantic culture and a flirtatious culture with one that is toxic and predatory. Like What they are saying is that women who don't enjoy this kind of thing should pretend that it's romantic to make these men feel good for the good of French culture. And I think that's not okay. I don't think that's okay either, and neither does Chiappa. She said, There is some reluctance. Some say we will kill the culture of the French lover if we punish street harassment. But it's the opposite. We want to preserve seduction, chivalry, and l'amour à la française by saying what is key is consent. Between consenting adults, everything is allowed. We can seduce, talk, but if someone says no, it's no, and it's final. See, I think she's exactly right because it's like the idea that consent is sexy. You know, when we talk about consent, 
so often we get hung up in this conversation of no means no, you know, consent is a vibe crusher, blah, blah, blah. But I think we need to reframe the idea that consent is a boner killer, right? Consent can be sexy. Like instead of no means no, there are people who are championing yes means yes, that having clear and enthusiastic consent can actually make sex and flirtation and seduction and romance sexier and better and more intense and more thrilling because it's all the more enjoyable when you know both partners are totally DTF. There's no confusion. Everyone's excited. Everyone's into it. I think the thinking that says that requiring clear consent is going to be a vibe killer. I think the younger generation is are acknowledging that consent can be like a sex toy almost. Like having and getting and requiring enthusiastic consent can make sex and interpersonal romantic and sexual encounters better, I think. I agree so much, so much. <laughs> I feel, I mean, if both parties are into it, it can only be better, right? And I just think no one, if you're thinking of romance in anywhere but in France I don't think what you're thinking of is like some guy on on the street like hey I like your legs and then following after you like I, I yeah. just don't see that <laughs> listen someone in a taxi cab once stuck their hat out a window and yelled nice at me I know they're gonna oh. bleep this but it's um how can I explain what, I, what I've just said <laughs> Yeah. It's another, um, it's a worse term than crapper. Yeah. And I, when I told somebody that, they were like, were you holding a toilet? <laughs> I mean, that's not romantic, right? Like, like, the thing that they are saying that we should be preserving in order to preserve romance is not romantic. It's gross. Like, screaming at somebody out of a moving window, nice t- is not romantic. I'm sorry. And also, what do, you, what do you expect me to do? I was in a car recently where... My friend was driving and somebody rode by and like said something to her. And I was like, do you think she's going to pull over and get in your car? Like, that's my biggest question. What in your ideal situation? So if you are a cat caller, call in because I really want to know. In your ideal world, when you yell nice ass at somebody from a moving car, what is the game plan? Right. Do you think I'm going to write down my phone number, ball it up and throw it into your window? Like, what are you thinking is going to happen in your ideal scenario? I really don't feel like these men have thought this through in terms of a game plan. I always thought it was almost like they didn't want anything to happen. They just want to feel like the thrill of feeling like powerful in the moment, more power over that person by turning them into an object. That's what I always thought it was. I've actually read a few places that for Black and Latino men, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong or even accurate, it's just something that I've read, that it can be about reclaiming the feeling of power in a public place where if you are marginalized, you often feel kind of powerless. And so if you feel that when you're out and about on the street, you can be you know, harassed by the cops because you're Black or Latino, that is a negative feeling. And so that catcalling for some communities might be about trying to, in whatever wrong, f***ed up way, reclaim a kind of power in a public place. You feel disempowered. And so you, in turn, disempower someone else who is marginalized So then you feel empowered, even though that's like a false way to feel empowered. I think I've also read somewhere that it's almost like uh, showing off to other men how like manly you are. You're such a manly man and you're so after these women. (laughs) Kind of like a a weird armor of their own. Yeah, until my like 60 year old dad makes (laughs) you look like a little because he screams at you <laughs> in, front of a, in front of a grocery store where you've been harassing women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then not so much. The armor does not work in that situation. So we have a little bit more on catcalling and romance and all of that good stuff after a quick break. Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business. The Restless Ones. Join me, Jonathan Strickland, as I explore the coming technological revolution and the business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. There are certain decision makers that are restless. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they are ready, curious, excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. These restless ones are in pursuit of bigger, better, stronger. They seek new partners, new strategies, new processes. They pursue innovative platforms and solutions to propel their teams, businesses, and industries forward. 
In each episode, we'll learn more from the restless ones themselves and dive deep into how the 5G revolution could enable their teams to thrive. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So I sort of talked about this a minute ago. I have to say conversations about catcalling and how we crack down on it really make me a bit anxious. I obviously hate catcalling, and I think that we need to do something about it. But particularly here in D.C., I can't help but notice the ways that the conversation can be sort of racialized. And so while I think it's cool that France is finally doing something about this since that's such a problem, there's always a nagging thing in the back of my brain that thinks in a place like the United States where we will use any excuse to further criminalize Black and Latino communities, part of me can't help but wonder if we did a similar thing here. Is that what this would turn into? Sort of another kind of broken windows thing where police are using a very broad interpretation of street harassment in order to further criminalize marginalized communities. I'm not saying that is what would happen, but because of just the way that I experience the world, that is always my my sort of nagging concern. It's a Bridget's unpopular concern, I guess, because I think that unfortunately, the conversation around street harassment sometimes can be racialized in a way that I find a bit uncomfortable. And I think that we should acknowledge that and like own that and hold space for that. And that's okay. I agree. That's one of the things I I was, when you asked me whether or not I think the law in France will work that finds people, I don't really know enough about all of the, the situation going on there, but we have conversations around that in the United States where things like that can be used to keep marginalized people who don't have access to money, perhaps to pay that fine, can trap them in systems that are designed so that they can't advance. So I don't know. It's definitely worth looking at because we agree catcalling is bad, but we have to look at all of the things at play to make laws that work for everyone in in an ideal world. Definitely. And, you know, here in D.C., it's one of the, I I sort of compare it to bike lanes, right? I've lived in the same neighborhood in D.C. I've seen it change from mostly black to very mixed, which has, you know, been interesting and most, and like, I have feelings about it, but I mostly am like welcoming of the community and all of that. But it's one of those things where street harassment in my neighborhood has been a problem the entire time I've lived here. And it seems like we're only having this much needed conversation now that the neighborhood is becoming more white. And so part of me wonders, when it was mostly women of color who were the victims of street harassment, where was this conversation? This conversation is long overdue, and I'm happy that it's happening. But part of me is like, oh, well, is it only an issue now that the community is becoming more white? Like, now we have to do something about it. And, you know, this this sort of goes with what we know about street harassment. Not only is there no evidence that black and brown men harass any more frequently than white men do, There's evidence to support that women of color experience higher rates of street harassment. Stop Street Harassment's 2014 study found that non-Black and Hispanic respondents reported experiencing verbal and physical aggressive harassment at rates higher than white respondents. And so I guess what I'm saying is just just that I want us to work on a solution that acknowledges this. I think we often frame it as a problem of Black and Latino men harassing scared white girls. I remember a few years ago, there was a big controversy where the organization I Holla Back, they had produced a video that went viral of a woman walking around New York City for 10 hours and she was being constantly street harassed, like in a way that is overwhelming. And all of the faces of the street harassers were blurred, but they were all men of color. And so someone said, oh, that's interesting that You know, it was like, oh, did any white people harass you? And they said, yes, actually, it was pretty evenly split. But we edited those people out. Their answer was that for whatever reason, the people who were white who street harassed her, like if there was a siren or something going off or they said it as an aside comment and they weren't able to capture it on, you know, clearly on audio or on video. And for whatever reason, they ended up editing out all of the white street harassers. And when you watch that video, the impression that you get is that this is a white woman walking around New York City being harassed almost exclusively by Black and Latino men. From the creator's own admission, that is not what happened. But I think that that kind of illustrates, whether you know by accident or on purpose, a trap that I worry that we can fall in when we talk about street harassment, which is a real problem, is that it's a problem of 
Black and Latino men, men of color, low income men doing it. And, you know, you're a, a rich white guy would never do that. And that's not true. Right. Everybody, everybody can street harass. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, poor, rich, educated, you know, walk around Georgetown in D.C. I see clearly wealthy men in polo shirts harassing women of all kinds. Right. Like. Men can be equal opportunity harassers. And I just want, I want to have a conversation. I know that people are going to push back on this and say, Bridget makes everything about race. And maybe I do, you know, but I, I think that it's important to acknowledge our biases when we have this conversation so that when we talk about solutions, we can have a real thorough, thoughtful, nuanced conversations about real solutions that will actually help a problem that really does need to be tackled. Yeah. I completely agree, Bridget. Completely agree. Just to, for fun, one more uh, sexual harassment story that illustrates uh, that rich white dudes can do it too. <laughs> um, when I was in the Vatican, this guy, he came out of a church, was clearly pretty well off. And I I didn't realize this, but I was wearing too short of shorts. So I'd been kicked out of the, the church you got kicked out of the Vatican? Of the of a church in the Vatican, yes. Rock and roll. <laughs> and he came out and he, he was kind of being apologetic, like, oh, I'm so sorry they kicked you out. And then out of nowhere, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, isn't it strange how the minimum wage, you'll make only $8 an hour? And he said dollars. Um, even though he was Italian, but if you gave me a bl- job, you'd make sixty. <laughs> okay, first of all, sixty. I know. Sir, surely you just. <laughs> I mean, not for no sixty dollars. <laughs> what? A, first of all, what a cheapskate! I'm, I'm embarrassed for him. Rude. Um, second of all. What a thing to say. I was very, he said it out of nowhere. So I remember staring at him blankly for a minute, like, what? (laughs) Did I understand you correctly? (laughs) Yeah, he was saying I could make a lot of good money. He continued, but I sort of started to walk away with purpose. (laughs) Breaking down the the pros and cons of you giving him a job for $60. Pro, $60. Con, you have to me. <laughs> Weigh those odds. <laughs> that really stuck with me. And then I went to go buy ice cream and he like popped up again and was like, you could buy all the ice cream you want. <laughs> Think of all the ice cream you could buy with $60. Oh, man. Wow. What a creep. That has to have been his stand. I, I guarantee he's used that line all over town. Oh, sure. That's just his thing. He waits for people to be kicked out of a church wearing too short of shorts. And then he pounces. <laughs> he sees an opportunity. And I almost thought you were going in a different direction that like, isn't it odd that the minimum wage is so low? We should really raise the minimum wage. You know, with inflation, that the cost of growth, like I thought he was going to go into like a minimum wage spiel. <laughs> I wish that's what happened. <laughs> I would have been on board with that. <laughs> Like, it's weird that we're having this conversation at the Vatican, but okay, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So one other thing about street harassment that I wanted to say is that I do think that this could be one of those situations where policy intervention and cultural intervention can sort of work hand in hand. I wanted to shout out the work of artist Tatiana Fazlaziata. Her campaign, Stop Telling Women to Smile, uses these really striking street art images that have these, just like, you should look them up. We'll put them in the show notes. But it's these huge murals and street art and posters of women not smiling. And it says, I don't exist for you. Stop telling me to smile. And I remember walking by that corner that I described earlier in the episode where my dad, you know, flipped out on that guy. And there was one of her posters was where that guy used to stand, a picture, a poster of a black woman not smiling that said, Stop telling women to smile. And part of me wondered, the artists that put this here, did they know this is like the hot, like a hot spot for harassment in D.C.? So we're going to put up this poster just so that people know using this art that this is not OK. People don't like it. Like sometimes I think that the intervention that we need is not always policy. Sometimes I think it's, it is cultural that if people understood that this is not appreciated, that women who smile and giggle when you say this are doing it because they don't want you to scream at them and call them a 
watch and escalate things. And that if you want to be a cool dude, don't do this. Yeah, I love that. I have said before, I don't know if it's ever made on the show, but I've told you before, Bridget, I want a shirt that says it's just my face. Because I do get all of the time some iteration of you should smile more, you'd be prettier if you smiled more, or just like what's wrong when I'm simply thinking Uh, like I'm not actively showing happiness. If someone says what's wrong, you should just be like existence. (laughs) Existence is pain. That's what's wrong. (laughs) Wake up, dummy. (laughs) Yeah. Go on some like nihilistic rant and then really just up their whole day. (laughs) I should do that. But if I don't have the energy to do it, I'd love to have a shirt where I can just point to like, it's just my face. I even, um, like, I have family members who always are like, you should smile more. And I've I've said it to them to the point where they won't say that anymore to me. Like, it's just my face. I'm okay. You also have a very pleasant face. I mean, it's not like you, you don't look dour and sad all the time. You have a very pleasant face. Oh, that's very kind of you, for sure. That's like, that's like the, I, I meant that as a compliment, but I'm realizing now that I'm saying it, it sounds like, oh, your face is actually pleasing. It's okay. <laughs> it's like a weird way to put it, but you know what I mean. My mom says I'm unapproachable, so thank you. <laughs> well, I find you adequate. Adequately approachable. <laughs> no, Adequately approachable. I that's, love it. I will take it. Every girl, isn't that what every girl's hoping for? That like the, the words every woman longs to hear? I find you adequately approachable. I I am on board. <laughs> so that's um, our episode on catcalling, specifically focusing on France. And we'd love to hear from any listeners in, in France about the situation that's going on there and anywhere else, really, because this does impact a lot of us. It really does. It absolutely does. In the meantime, it's time for listener mail. Lori wrote, your episode on Jacinda Ardern was very timely for me. I work in politics as a staffer and went back to work after a six-month maternity leave the week that episode came out. Yes, very timely. I live in Canada where parents have the option of 12 months or 18 months paid leave, which can be taken wholly by one parent or split. I took six months and my spouse is now taking six months as I go back to work. We did this for three reasons. We're heading into an election in spring 2019, and I wanted to be back at work to prep. I make more money than my spouse, and even though Canadian leave is paid, it's still a percentage of your regular salary. And we want to break the mold and try to have more equality in our household. The government I work for had three, yes, three, cabinet ministers give birth during our current term in office, and approximately one million staffers also had babies. Because politicians don't qualify for leave, our traditionally old white dude-dominated workplace became baby-friendly quickly, which also made the transition back to work easier knowing there were a ton of other working moms in the same boat. All that to say, I don't know how folks in countries with no leave do it, because even from my place of incredible privilege, this is the hardest thing I have ever done. Pumping at work has me feeling guilty I'm not at my desk. Being at my desk has me feeling guilty I'm not at home. And I'm exhausted all the time. My kudos to the mamas out there going back to work at six weeks, hustling to pay for childcare, especially single mamas. It's not easy, but we're all doing what's best for our families. Damn, Lori, you are doing it all. I hate that you feel guilty. I guess that's just sort of part of the trip of the patriarchy that we live in. But you got this. It is okay to do what you need to do. You don't have to be perfect. You are one person. You are one human. And good on you, mama. You sound like you are doing your best. And kudos to all the moms out there, you know, just doing it with paid leave, without paid leave. I mean, kudos to all of you. I don't know. I don't I literally do not know how y'all, any of y'all do it with help, without help. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. And it from our listener mail from last week's episode from New Zealand, it sounds like this kind of tightrope of being a mom, of being shamed both for not caring about your job enough and then not caring about your baby enough is something that is shared and <laughs> really unfortunate because you can't win. But I love this letter and I'm glad that you're striving for more equality in your household. And yeah, we, we, <laughs> you should write back and let us know how the campaign goes. We'd love to hear. Sanika writes, 
I just listened to your episode on the sexual harassment, abuse, and other horrendous things that female journalists face in India. As someone who grew up in an Indian family, albeit not a traditional one, I'm painfully aware of the deeply entrenched patriarchy in Indian society, even in more progressive groups. But I also want to bring up another point, the conversation or lack thereof surrounding sex and sexuality in India. Any conversation about sex in Indian culture has historically been a huge taboo, especially when it comes to women. Though this is thankfully beginning to change, there is still very little open conversation and women who express any indication of sexuality are often shamed and shunned by their family, friends, and other members of their community. This shaming also extends to women who are victims of sexual harassment and rape. I feel like this attitude towards sexual abuse is an added burden to female journalists in India. Not only do they have to contend with huge amounts of sexual abuse, it is possible they could also lose connections with friends and family members as a result. Wow, thank you so much for writing in. I didn't know that about Indian culture, but it also adds nuance and context to what one of the journalists that we talked about in that episode faced, that, that people sent you know, doctored images of her in sexually compromising positions to her family, probably in an attempt to get her family to cut connections with her, which is so awful. Yeah. When we were researching this episode, there were so many instances of recent stories of sexual harassment and abuse. And then we, we touched on it in the episode a little bit, but we couldn't talk about it the whole time because it's it's its own thing. It's its own topic. But how the community was more like defensive of the men perpetrating the abuse or assault or what have you than it was of the women. So we definitely need to come back to that and, and dig into it a little more. Definitely. But honestly, thank you for writing in because it does sort of help me understand the situation a lot clearer. Yes. And thanks to both of them for writing in. And if you want to write to us, we would love to hear from you. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And you can always find us on social media or on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You and on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast. And thanks as always to our producer, Kathleen Quillian. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.